Hello, everybody. This is Dave Perozic. I'm an education reporter for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome to this podcast on education. Well, we're finally about to put 2020 behind us. What a year, one that has brought enormous change to education in a very short amount of time. So we at the Democrat Gazette were curious to find out what people feel about the education their children are receiving this year. So we commissioned a statewide survey asking parents and guardians what they think about things such as the quality of the education their kids are getting, either at school or virtually, and about their school's adherence to safety protocols related to COVID, things like that. Uh, This survey was conducted by Impact Management Group, a Little Rock public relations and public opinion research firm between November 5th and November 10th, so roughly two and a half months into the school year. The 605 Arkansans who responded identified themselves as a parent or a guardian of a child enrolled in K-12 traditional public schools or charter schools, which are also public. Um, The margin of error for this poll is about four, plus or minus four percentage points. Um, So the purpose of this podcast is to discuss those poll results, and to do that, I have three guests joining me by phone. First, we have Robert Kuhn. Hi, Mr. Kuhn. Hi. Uh, Thanks for having me. Mr. Kuhn lives in Little Rock and is a managing partner at Impact Management Group, which, uh, as I mentioned, is the firm that conducted this poll for us. Um, Next, we have Candace Williams. Hi, Ms. Williams. Are you with us? Yes. Hello. Hi. Um, Ms. Williams is executive director of the Rural Community Alliance, a Little Rock-based organization that works to help improve the quality of life in our rural communities. Uh, Ms. Williams lives in Phelps County on the east side of the state uh, with her son. I believe he's enrolled in the Marvel Elaine School District. Is that right? Yes, he is. Okay. And also with us is Dr. Jared Cleveland. Dr. Cleveland is superintendent of the Springdale School District, a position he assumed this past summer following seven years as the district's deputy superintendent. Uh, uh, Springdale is the largest district in Arkansas with around 22,000 students. Uh, Is that about right, Dr. Cleveland? That's correct. You had 23,000. Okay, great. Uh, So thanks to all three of you for your time today. So after that rather lengthy setup, let's dive into the poll results here. Um, Mr. Kuhn, I'm going to ask that you help take us through some of the questions and the answers we got. And uh, Ms. Williams and Dr. Cleveland, I'm interested to hear your reactions given your experiences this year. Mr. Kuhn, could you tell us first just a little bit about your company's expertise in polling and briefly explain how you went about conducting this particular poll for us? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and actually to talk not only about the poll, but kind of learn, you know, polling is is, is data and, and it's nice to be able to be able to talk about some of these issues with folks that are um, dealing with people um, with, with some of these issues with Ms. Williams and Dr. Cleveland. Um, 
so we conducted this survey, uh, as you said earlier in November, um, it was a telephone survey, about 80% of uh, the respondents were contacted by cell phone, about 20 by landline. Obviously, that's a trend that's continuing. Um, our firm has been in the public opinion research uh, sphere for a number of years, and, and we have done work for media organizations, for corporations, uh, for political candidates, uh, and for nonprofits, really, um, in order to help them understand what's going on um, in, in an electorate, uh, among the general public, among their customers. Um, and, and really, we feel like it's 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 a whole lot better when you can make informed decisions, um, whether you're any of those types of organizations. And so hopefully, you know, we hope that, you know, as the as the Democrat Gazette reports on these results, that it will empower decision makers and, and kind of how they can address some of the challenges that families are facing out there. Um, so just big picture wise, and we can kind of get into um, you know, some of these issues as we kind of walk through it. But um, I think for those in the in the education uh, business, I think the good news is that the the overall experience that at least according to this survey that families are having during this difficult um, phase is generally positive. Um, you know, we we saw that from responses on the quality of the education that they're getting. We saw this from the amount of instruction that they're getting, the quality of instruction they're getting. Generally, families feel pretty good about how it's going from an instruction standpoint, from the school standpoint. Um, now, the catch is they don't necessarily feel like their student is doing as well as they could be doing in a normal environment. And that's 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 the other side of the coin there. But um, I think it's I think it's really relevant to say that um, the schools and the teachers are going above and beyond in a tough situation. I think that's being recognized, but there's still, you know, the fundamental challenge that that COVID has had on, the, you know, the learning environment is still so strong that, you know, the, the outlook of, of how people feel about their, their child's learning um, and whether they're learning more or less than they normally would is, is still that's that's not being driven up. Um, I think the other the other kind of and I'll, I'll stop after this, the other kind of overall big picture um, is kind of the same thing. People are that have had their kids in school overwhelmingly feel pretty confident or not pretty confident, confident in the protocols that are being followed at school. They feel that schools are safe environments for their kids, um, despite the fact that and this was you know, as of November. So these numbers have probably changed already since then. But. Um, a third of families said they had had one of their students have to pivot online due to uh, an exposure or a positive case at their school. So even though they've had, you know, a third of folks had been impacted by having their kids have to come home for some reason uh, related to coronavirus, there's still an overwhelming uh, feeling of confidence in how the schools are handling safety, which I think is, is, is pretty important. Right. And, and those numbers... We have to. Uh, I have to remind you guys that the, these numbers are from six weeks ago. So uh, uh, considerably more students have had to pivot since then. Um, the big thing uh, that I noticed, and I'm writing about for uh, a coming story, is the fact that most respondents, 68%, said they were either very satisfied or somewhat satisfied by the quality of education their virtual learners were receiving, and and yet, when asked to compare virtual education to how they would learn in a normal school environment, 
uh, as you alluded to this, Mr. Kuhn, most, about 58% said virtual was either somewhat worse or significantly worse than traditional school. Ms. Williams, uh, I believe your student is learning from home this year. Is that right? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yes, my son, he, he's done virtual from the beginning. And um, yeah. How did and everything shuts off tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> How did you decide to keep him at home this year? What What led to that? I was just really nervous about um, the unknown, just not knowing, you know, um, how, um, you know, if the, the rate of, you know, how many people have been infected or just the rate of how it was spread overall. I was just really nervous about it. So I said, I said I would rather um, just, you know, just have him home. And um, I work from home for the most part. Well, <laughs> Mostly, like, all the time I work from home. Um, so, if anything, that has been a struggle, like, trying to, um, like, manage manage it all. How would you describe his and your experience this school year? Um, I guess, like, we really started to get into the groove of everything around uh, probably mid-October. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um and, and and sometimes after that it still was you know challenging but it seems like there that's when we uh the school and you know my son and i we really the schedule and everything it was understood and um he got in the groove of, of like hey i am home uh, but i do have to still do my work and all that so yeah and you know from there it's, it's been okay uh like i'm trying always turning his assignments but of course being at home it was a struggle to you know like different you know like the difference between like being home like all the time and feeling like you know your leisure and comfortable and you know but um having to understand yes we're at home but yes you still have to you know do your assignment so but mm -hmm. yeah about mid-october mid that's when you know things kind of change for the better for us would you care to compare it, the quality of the education he's getting this school year to traditional school in-person education? Well, um, nothing beats in-person. Um, having um, a company, being a company of his peers and, you know, having a certified teacher in front of him teaching him, nothing beats that. So I can't mm -hmm. say that you know, be, me being at home, you know, compares at all. I'm just, I'm doing the best that I can. Um, you know, still not wanting him to um, to be in um, an environment where um, I just don't want him to be in the in-person environment right now. So I'm just doing you know, everything I can to make sure, you know, that we stay on task and I keep him on grade level as much as he can and we don't have uh, much of a learning loss. And... Uh... Turning to you, Dr. Cleveland, uh, you're obviously quite familiar with the pluses and minuses of virtual education. Uh, what have you observed this year in, in terms of how virtual school is going in Springdale? And can it be effective? And, you know, what what are its limitations? Well, Dave, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, virtual school is not new. It's not new for the country. It's not new for Arkansas, and it's certainly not new for Springdale. Uh, 
since we've opened the Don Tyson School of Innovation, there's been a virtual component. <clears throat> that component is, has been for uh, upper grades. Now it has developed and is moving down uh, all the way through kindergarten. So that it is, again, not new. It really works well for children and parents that it's suited for. So if it meets their need and their life, it works really, really well as a stopgap for fear of the virus or fear of any other aspect of a, uh, of a child's life that could create a critical or a, a critical response or a crisis response. It makes sense for parents who are worried about that uh, for virtual learning to take place. <clears throat> so for us, it's been about 3000 of our students and we've added additional students from across the state uh, to our virtual program. Uh, the virtual component itself can work very well. For someone who's not used to that virtual component, it takes a little time. Um, I'm sure that parents across the state could tell you that uh, if they've been involved in different virtual programs, some are really, really good. Some are uh, the rigors very high and some may not be so high. We're proud in Springdale to have a rigorous program that's tied to the School of Innovation to where if students wanted to to roll out of the virtual program, they could do the brick and mortar real easily. Uh, pretty much teachers don't change, curriculum doesn't change, that kind of thing. Most virtual programs across the state have their own curriculum. Even districts today have, uh, I guess, coalesced together and doing Lincoln Learning and some other programs that are out there. There are some some schools that are charter schools that do only virtual. I think, uh, gosh, it's failing me now. I want to say it's classworks, but that's not it. Uh, there are some good quality programs out there. In regard to what is best, I certainly have a bias. And my bias is face to face because I believe that the heart of a teacher, the relationship that uh, can be built face to face, helps trump some of those issues that distance provides. For example, it is hard to create a relationship through a screen. That's possible. I mean, I, <laughs> Dave, from what I understand, you know, people meet and fall in love online. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure if that can happen, that at uh, virtual school can happen sure. too. But, but uh, the overall, uh, the relationship building aspect plus the social and emotional aspect that students need to be with their peers uh, is much better face to face plus students that are totally virtual are missing out or we'll even say remote are missing out on some of the aspects of school that help create a rounded student for example uh, athletics the arts art uh, itself. Uh, there are th some things that happen in a brick and mortar school that it's really hard to recreate in a virtual way. It's doable, I think, but it's hard. And, uh, you know, for some parents and some kids, it's perfectly fine. You know, if, I, if I'm a traveling uh, tennis player and some, you know, or my parents are missionaries and yet we still live here, but we're gone part of the year and if you want to spring to education, that's a way to do that. And it's uh, less of an issue for the parents to have to, uh, as long as they have internet connectivity, they can do that. But the 
the overall aspect for me is we are going to provide whatever our moms and dads in Springdale, America need at the time that they need it. And we call that personalization. So we're going to bend over backwards to help them. I've called it and I've told you this personally. It's, I call it the uh, Burger King mentality. It's your education, it's your child's education, and we're going to try to help you have it your way. You know, as, as far as we can bend, we'll bend. And so that's what we tried to do in Springdale. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to cut in for a second. Uh, Superintendent brought out, brought out a very, uh, I feel like, great point uh, around the issue of, equ- of, of equity. Um, it's a blessing that Springdale already was up and running and was able to easily fold into what we know now as virtual um, learning. But um, a lot of, especially smaller districts, they were not ready. Um, so it, it, I don't know if it has so much to do because my son, <laughs> he's an eight-year-old and he he knows everything about a computer, what to do with it. So it wasn't an issue of that. It was more so um, his district, the district just, they weren't like totally ready for that. One, because of capacity. Um, two, because uh, another good point the superintendent brought us internet connection, which we still very much so have an issue with. So it, it's great to hear that a lot of school districts, you know, it wasn't a hard transition for them, but that was not the case for a lot of districts in our state. And we, we all know that. Right. Yeah, definitely challenges. Um with the connectivity and and uh, technology access, uh, so you brought up a good point there. Um, wanted to shift to some of the, the health and safety aspects of this poll. Um, parents of kids who are attending school in person show pretty overwhelming confidence that their schools are following prescribed health and safety guidelines. Um, as Mr. Kuhn mentioned, uh, as such as physical distancing and mask wearing, um, 90% said they're very or somewhat confident that their students' school is following the guidelines. Interestingly, though, uh, the percentage of those saying they are very confident is much lower among uh, black households than white. 37% of black respondents said they were very confident compared to 69% of whites saying they were very confident. That's a pretty big difference. Um, and Mr. Kuhn, uh, you, uh, I think we have saw some uh, racial and socioeconomic differences kind of across this poll, did we not? Yeah, there, there's a there's a few areas. This is one of them um, where you know we saw some definite breaks on socioeconomic lines. Um, we saw some some areas where uh, black families and white families saw things very differently or were noticeably differently. Even like on this example, I mean, they still overall feel confident, but there's definitely a gap between you know well, I'm I'm very confident versus I'm somewhat confident. Um, there's also several areas in this survey where you can see families uh, based on their income level um, feeling different uh, than those that might be a, under 46,000 feel different than those with income over 46,000. Um, there's definitely also 
Um, it's it's not always race. There's definitely some breakdowns in you know more rural regions of the state, like uh, the first congressional district region, the fourth congressional district region, um, and you know a lot of that comes into play on how people feel about um, their ability to help their kids during this time. So um, definitely a, a different um, experience when you're looking across some of these racial lines and these these socioeconomic lines with how people are, are dealing with these challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dr. Cleveland, as a superintendent, what can you tell us about how you've been able to instill confidence in parents, students, and employees that school is a safe place to go during this pandemic? Well, I, I think early on, Dave, there was no way to guarantee that. Uh, you know, we all, all of it, all superintendents, all administrators across the state, all, I feel confident to say all board members were worried that even if we followed the CDC guidelines and did our dead level best to do whatever it took, we didn't know if it'd be enough. But I think overall, school districts, school administrators, school teachers, school personnel are rural followers. And so we have all really listened and grasped onto and held onto tightly CDC guidelines, Arkansas Department of Health uh, guidelines, and tried to implement those in a judicious way with the understanding of, you know, sometimes you're just going to be closer to somebody than six feet for more than 15 minutes. So implementing a mask policy, uh, having hand uh, sanitizing stations all over, allowing students to, to wash their hands anytime they want to. Uh, separating students at lunch tables and trying to, to help uh, educate them on how to not only take care of themselves, but to take care of one another and people at home. You know, it, Springdale implemented a wear because you care uh, mask policy. And you know, that wasn't necessarily protect ourselves. It was protect our buddies next to us. It was protect our moms and dads and our grandparents. I mean, uh, what we, we all tried to do is to really um, – plant a seed of I'm doing this not necessarily because I want to because I really don't like wearing a mask but I do it because I care enough about my neighbor care enough about my family to try to limit the spread of the virus in our community because number one we love our athletics in our community we love our arts in our community and our staff that are involved in those particular areas love to have to invite students to to participate. So, you know, in Springdale, we want to have enough options for our students that anything a child might want to participate in and really grab a hold of in order to keep them in school to have that as a possibility. So, you know, with all of those caring adults out there wanting to continue to, to have options for our kids, they just bought in and uh, they've done it. And so our overall rate of positivity in our community as far as our school community and our kids has been relatively low. Now we're always, I say always, we're always in the top five, you know, as far as positives and quarantines and all that, but it makes sense because we're the largest district, have the most kids, have the most staff. Mm -hmm. So when you look at our percentage, our percentage is in the middle or lower uh, portion of the, of the state in regard to positivity or quarantines. But when you look at numbers, yeah, we're going to be high, but, you know, we're constantly in communication with moms and dads. We're constantly in communication with our, our community leaders, uh, our, our Hispanic population, our Marshallese population, 
and all the other minority populations in our community, we're all just one big diverse community. And that is a true blessing. Uh, it's, it's much like a, uh, a choir, you know, you have one beautiful voice. That's great. But when you have multiple beautiful voices that bass, tenor, or alto, I'm not a, a choir person. I can't sing by myself in the shower, much less in public, but, um, <laughs> But I can certainly identify beautiful music, and beautiful voices. Our community is a great representation of an overall choir that is so beautiful when we're all working together. And so I think that's what Springdale has done. We've just dedicated ourselves to working hard together, no matter no matter your background, no matter your history, no matter no matter what. We're one community, one Springdale, and uh, our community has just pulled together tremendously to say, hey, you know what? This COVID situation is not good, but we're going to do our dead level best to not let it beat us. So our our staff has adopted that mantra. Our administration's adopted that, and our school board certainly has. Now, I've got to tell you, with seven members of the school board, each member has a different view on things. But when it comes to the overall safety for the children, for the staff, I have never seen a group of people come together with more solidarity than to make sure you know, not only uh, safe, but they're cared for and the expectation for their leader, which is, you know, as far as the district leader, which is me, I take that responsibility uh, really to, seriously is I need to take care of the staff. So if I take care of the staff, staff's going to take care of the kids. The kids are going to take care of the family. So that's what mm-hmm. we've tried to do. We do have some things on our radar that I, that we're worried about. You hadn't asked this, but uh, I'll just tell you, we're worried about the social and emotional aspect of this virus and the situation of not not just wearing the mask, but the things the students don't get to participate in because of the limiting of the numbers of people. You know, I went to a basketball game last Friday night and there were so few people in the stands and that's not normal. Usually the, the student section is totally packed because they love it. They love to cheer on their friends. They love to be social. They love to be a gather. Right. Uh, I, I can tell you, as I sit here and talk to you, my youngest son, who's a 10th grader at Harbor, was identified as a close contact yesterday. And we're out at the family farm uh, sitting in a camper because mm-hmm. I, my wife's a teacher. And of course, I'm a, a superintendent, but I have to make sure he's isolated until we can get him tested. And I have to make sure somebody's with him. So it's my turn. So, I mean, there are moms and dads out there doing those things and it's not normal. And it's a strain. It's a stress and all those things. And now we're going into the Christmas season, Dave, and it's a time that people can rest, recharge, relax, be with their families, forget some of the worries that they have. And yet here's this virus, this constant stressor. I'm not sure how people are going to be able to relax, recharge, rest, and be be with their families in a safe way, and it not impact the second semester. So, you can't legislate good behavior. You can't legislate people to to stay away from one another. You can't make them do that, but you can request and appeal to their their uh, desire for others to help and care for others to maybe get them to do some things differently. I was on a call with the chamber today. With the leaders in the chamber and each of those leaders talked about how they wished they could be with their family as they've traditionally done and yet they can't they're going to somehow 
arrange their schedule, Zoom, FaceTime, whatever, still be with their loved ones in some form or fashion. But just like virtual learning, there's nothing like that touch, that hug, that feel of in person. But at least it's better than nothing having the virtual component. So overall, I'm so proud of our community. I'm proud of our our staff. Uh, Our school board is just amazing. And the leaders in our, our community have come together and and really decided that, you know, hey, if we're going to uh, to ask people to bend over backwards and, and, you know, give up some things, we're going to be the example. We're going to do it, too. And uh, that's what I'm doing, sitting in a camper, <laughs> you know, try, trying to protect my own child. And, and uh, I think I moms and dads that love their children so much, they're going to do the same. I hope you've got heat in that camper. Well, you know what? It feels pretty warm, so. <laughs> Um, I want to circle back just for a minute again to some of the differences we saw um, from our the respondents in this poll um, when we asked um, all, again along the lines of safety uh, uh, how safe when when we talk about in-person schooling how safe from the coronavirus do you feel your students are at their school um, 90% of white families said they feel safe compared to only 76% of our black families. Um, Ms. Williams, I wondered if from your experience and the people you've talked to over the past several months, do you see any reasons why so many more in the black community feel less safe and less confident in their school's safety protocols um, compared to uh, the, the white population? I, I don't think this is something that happened overnight. Uh, that that distrust is is rooted and historic and all those things is is not anything that just happened now. So it's just a pattern of us seeing things uh, fail that have uh, that were promised to to work or that were promised to uh, a, a, another result that we didn't get a better result uh, was promised and we and we didn't get that. So is that you know, survey doesn't surprise me at all because that that distrust, like I said, it, it didn't happen overnight. It, it's mm-hmm. it's from us seeing things, or I won't say it. It, it happened from seeing things uh, fail um, that that were told to us that 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 they were not. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, of course, I work with uh, with rural communities across the state, not just. Uh, minority uh, populated communities, uh, majority minority populated communities, but you know, I am black, I'm from the Delta, born and raised. I, you know, my school district that, that I graduated from has been consolidated, so I've dealt with all that. You know, so that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> um, it's pretty much reflective of, you know, uh, people that I see every day, that I, you know, that I interact with every day. But I wouldn't say that organization-wide, of course, because I work with different races, different regions of the state. That's you know, that's not the perspective organization-wide. But um, from my part of the state, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I want to dive into one more question um, that we asked, uh, and it had to do with at what point should a school or school district stop holding in-person classes due to coronavirus? Um, 8% said any time a positive case is discovered. 
24% said when positives reached 5% of the student population. Another 24% said when positives reached 10% of the student population. 25% said they would leave that decision up to public health officials or the governor. And 7% said there should be no in-person classes until there is a vaccine. So wide variety of responses there. Uh, and Dr. Cleveland, I'm interested to get your response. I know Springdale pivoted to all virtual instruction for the week after Thanksgiving. Many other districts have had to do the same at various points this semester. How did you and the district make that decision and, and did you struggle with it at all? Oh, for sure. Uh, I struggled for weeks trying to figure out how we could continue to have in-person learning because our staff was being quarantined at a rapid rate. And, and I got to tell you, they weren't being quarantined because overwhelmingly because of school um, exposure. It was things that were happening outside of school, whether it be maybe having to take care of a young child because of a close contact and that could be at school. But overwhelmingly, it was experiences that uh, our staff was having outside of school, whether it was a, you know, a spouse that was positive or uh, a child that was positive, or maybe they went to a wedding and there were exposures there. So we were dealing with people that were um, having to quarantine, not because of the school issue. And it, Overall, Dave, what I said was, and I asked this fundamental question to our executive team and to our school board, it was when does remote learning trump in-person learning? And the answer that we all came to at the end was it trumps it when there is not a caring, competent, and capable adult in the front of the room. So if, uh, you know, if there's no substitute. And, you know, we had 260 something absences uh, for a period of a few days and we only had 200 or so substitutes. And that was after we were pulling secretaries and instructional facilitators and assistant principals and everywhere we could find a body that we had to put in front of a classroom. And that's getting by. That's not high quality instruction. So the idea was to figure out a way to reset. And so the Thanksgiving break, which was roughly a week, we had two days of, of uh, virtual or remote learning, teaching learning, partnered with a second week of uh, remote teaching and learning, actually remote learning because all of our staff came in that could, that weren't uh, having to be uh, at a remote setting due to quarantines or positives. It helped us get through that 14 day window or plus 14 plus day window of quarantining and allowed all of our personnel to have a reset. So when we came back after that week away, just about all of our staff were ready to go. And so we thought well, we can get through the last two weeks and we have, you know, tomorrow's the, the final day right before the break. And for the most part, our staff has just worked so hard to, to continue to uh, to be there, and uh, when I say that be there, I mean be present. Certainly, those close contacts have continued to happen. 
but for the most part, our staff, have, they've been so resilient. We, we've really struggled in bus driving, Dave. Uh, you know, our, our population of bus drivers are, are older. And so there was a lot of fear going into the school year and community decided to take a, lead, a year leave. And I allowed that because, uh, you know, I, I've got parents that are in their 70s. In fact, I mean, I'd share this. I don't think my dad would care. He's struggling right now. He has COVID and he's in Baptist Hospital in Little Rock. And, and uh, you know, we're all really, really worried. He's a small school superintendent in Western Yale County. He's a lawyer by trade, but uh, he's trying to help this school district get back on their feet. And, and here we are. He's served and now he's acquired this coronavirus. And Dave, he's struggling. I mean, and, mm. and we're, we're as a family constantly praying for him, thinking about him. My mom's been sick. Uh, thankfully, she's going to be uh, able to come back home today, but we're not sure how long his stay will be. So um, this virus is real. It's hit home. I am personally affected because, you know, my dad is my world. He's kind of like my wife and my children. Sure. And uh, the thought of, of losing him is, is something that, you know, I've dreaded all my life. But overall, I understand his purpose. His purpose was to serve others. And, you know, we put ourselves in, in harm's way all the time. Our bus drivers do that. They're an aged population. And uh, many of our aged population drivers said, you know what? We're coming back because we love our kids. We love to see them in the morning. We love to see them in the evening. It's the bright spot of our day. Otherwise, we would just be home. So I get that and I understand that service, but we owe those drivers who come every day. We owe our staff that come every day, uh, our appreciation and our dedication to safety. That's why we, we, uh, we clean our buses three times a day or more. Anytime a bus comes back, we're doing the atomization. We're sterilizing that bus. Uh, we have all the safety protocols put in place that are recommended by the CDC plus additional we provide all kinds of PPE for our, our staff members across the district, even reimburse them for things that they want personally that make them feel better. Um, we've just tried to bend over backwards to make it. And, and so far we've made it. And, uh, you know, I'm very pleased, but I have to tell you, my anxiety level is relatively high. It's probably higher going into second semester than it was the first because I'm confident that people have done their best to stay away from their families. But Christmas time is so special. And at some point they're going to want to see their parents. We've experienced some, well, or families, we've experienced substitutes by saying, you know what, I really want to substitute, but I want to quarantine myself for two weeks to make sure I don't infect my family. We'll just put that in quotation, whatever it is over the Christmas break, we really want to see them and we don't necessarily need the money and we, we want to do that. So that's, that hurt us in regard to having additional substitutes for our staff who were out. But in the end, we've essentially made it. And now we've made it to that break. And, and we're just asking our staff, I've got a message that I'm going to send out to our entire body tomorrow appreciating them, thanking them, uh, talking about the second semester just a little bit, but also reminding them of their, of the service that we know they all want to provide in the second semester. And just to say, hey, look, 
it's all a challenge, but, and we trust you. We trust your judgment. We trust where you go, what you do, that you're going to try to not only protect yourself, but protect the others around you and, and that you want to be able to come back, but do the best you can while you're out there. Loving your family, do as much as you can, but do it in a way that you can still come back without being um, exposed in some form or another. Right, right. Well, all the thoughts uh, and best wishes to your dad. I hope, uh, hope he recovers soon. And, we, uh, we do too. We, we feel confident that he's enough of a fighter that he's going to be able <laughs> to beat it. But thank you so much. Well, and... And so many people are fighting this this virus right now, and, and it's just a, such a terrible thing. Um, Mr. Kuhn and, and Ms. Williams, do, do either of you have any thoughts on on the subject of when to close schools or uh, anything that you would like to share? Well, I know um, just this week, at our in my son's school district, they did have to um, not totally shut it down, but the children they had to uh, just have it open for the teachers. Um, I think it started Wednesday uh, because one of the the uh, the kitchen workers they tested. So um, you know, it's just such a hard situation um, until you know you're in that the that superintendent's position that that has to make those tough positions i mean those tough decisions um i would <laughs> I, I just don't know i don't I, I don't know um but um i feel like what what uh the superintendent of my son's school did that was that was um the right decision to make to keep the children away well of course he had to because they had to shut the cafeteria down which meant no food for the children so but um all the teachers, you know, it's more than enough space for them to continue being distanced, you know, away from each other. Um, it's just, it's just hard all the way around. I'll jump in real quick. I mean, I, I think it's clear based on the survey results that, you know, if you're approaching 10% of the student population, the majority of folks would say it's time to shut it down. And I, I don't know that anybody's reached that level. I think that would be pretty significant. Um, I think all those decisions have to be made locally by the schools and their superintendents. I will say um, kind of, and I'm not trying to jump back, but I think it's an important uh, connection that's been talked about here. I think school communication is so key here. And I think you're probably seeing a pretty good example of a good, a good school communicator and uh, Dr. Cleveland and what he's doing in his district. Um, you know, there, there are generally some favorable views on how people think their schools are communicating. Um, but it's not completely universal. And I think uh, going back to what Miss Williams said about, uh, I don't know that she used the word, you know, distrust, but I'll use it. I think there definitely is some distrust um, and some disappointment, historic disappointment in some communities about what they've gotten from their school. Education aspect is, is notable there. You have, um, you know, when, when people were asked, what's, what's the communication been from your school since the school started? Um, there's a pretty big gap of white families, 48% said excellent, black families, 23% said excellent. And so I think you can, you can wrap all those things up and say, I think parents are going to be more comfortable, um, more reasonable, more understanding, more confident in their schools. But I think a lot of that is driven by communication. And so uh, I think the, the districts and the schools that are 
being transparent and open and proactive um, and communicating with their their, their families um, is going to foster that environment. And I think that where you have areas where there might be communities that are uh, have maybe felt let down in the past or maybe have some distrust. I mean, it's kind of like the virtual school. If you were already doing virtual school in some aspects when this came along, you kind of had to turn up the volume. It's more complicated than that, but at least you knew what you were doing. If you're starting from an area where there's some distrust in the community or some letdown in the community with the schools, I think this stress, as Dr. Cleveland called it earlier, which is a great word for it, is just exacerbating that situation. And so, you know, good situations are getting, you know, are, are being handled. Bad situations might be getting a little bit worse and, and where the, the fabric is starting to tear a little bit. So I do think that that communication um, really is key. And I think it ties into how, how schools have to respond to cases, uh, both, you know, whether you're looking at a certain percentage or you're just, you know, looking at the environment and how that affects um, number of qualified staff that can be there and that sort of thing. Thank you. Um, you've all been wonderful to talk to and, and been very informative. Um, before we wrap up, do either of you have anything else that you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to? I just have just a quick brief thing. Uh, Dave, I appreciate how the newspaper has really provided information that's pertinent to all of the, the patrons of Arkansas. And I appreciate also how you all have asked the, the hard questions to see, uh, you know, the real, um, we'll say qualitative, ask for qualitative data of how people feel because how they feel is really important. Um, you know, you can have numbers and numbers can tell you a lot of things, but when people respond about how it makes them feel, that's authentic. And so asking those questions, I, I so appreciate and allowing me to, to come on and at least talk about Springdale a little bit. Uh, I truly appreciate that. And uh, I couldn't brag on our community anymore and I couldn't brag on our state anymore because, you know, in Arkansas, we're blue collar. We work hard. We need our kids to have the best education possible. And every single school district in our state does their best to do that. And so I applaud them and I applaud the, the newspaper for for really trying to provide authentic quality information to the patrons of the state. So thank you. Appreciate that. Well, Summit, uh, we're thanking you for um, inviting me to your platform. Um, um, and again, I think earlier this year, like when the semester first started, uh, we talked about, well, I had a conversation with someone about, you know, uh, the lack of broadband connection throughout uh, quality uh, and affordable broadband throughout rural Arkansas. So um, just continue to uplift these issues. Um, and um, just, I, I appreciate that. And, and you know, just bringing me to the table for this conversation. Um, in this conversation, it was uh, an important part brought out, I think it was from the superintendent about uh, just the mental health and the um, overall effect of this. Um, I know as a parent every day, I just, I have to exercise a little more grace and patience because this is, you know, all, um, it's just different. And I know, um, you know, all of us will probably need therapy when we get back to quote unquote normal life. But um, um, just thank you um, and the, the Dem Gazette for, for this opportunity. Absolutely. Happy to have you on. And I'll just add, 
I'll just add that we're just excited to be part of this and uh, appreciate the opportunity to work with you guys to, to go out and, and talk to people about, about what they're feeling and what they're going through. Well, again, thanks very much, Dr. Cleveland, Ms. Williams, and Mr. Kuhn for joining me here today. As we wrap up, I'm just going to make a quick plug here for our ongoing COVID classroom series. We launched that series in August to explore the pandemic's impacts on education. Uh, that series is supported by a grant from the Walton Family Foundation. We finish up the series this month with a couple of stories about the poll we just discussed here today. Uh, those stories will provide some more details about what parents are thinking. And in addition, we'll have a fun feature on some of the success stories that we've seen from the schools this past semester. Uh, those stories are scheduled to be published on December 27th and 28th. And you can find them in the, either the Arkansas Democrat Gazette or the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. So uh, with that, um, this is Dave Perosic, education reporter. Thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Everybody stay safe and healthy and good luck on the rest of the school year.